What's up, everybody? Welcome to LibUX, a podcast about design and user experience and sometimes development for libraries and the higher ed web. I am Michael. I'm Amanda. And this week we are reading an article. No guests, no conference recordings, just good old-fashioned conversation about this uh, really cool concept called uh, anticipatory design. And the article is titled, The Next Design Trend is One That Eliminates All Choices. It's building upon this um, 2004 book called The Paradox of Choice, which is by Barry Schwartz. More recently, a guy named Aaron Shapiro taking um, this whole thing about having too much choices in your life and how this is going to complicate things and it wastes your brain energy and just leaves you tired trying to figure out everything. And so he instead advocates for something called anticipatory design, and that is basically you remove all the unnecessary choices and you're trying to set it up so that your system provides the smoothest interaction for people. Does that kind of get it? Yeah, it's like it it would probably come off unpopular in the library community, but it has kind of like these um these three mantras. Uh flow, not friction, convenience, not choice, efficiency, not freedom. And I feel like that's a terrible that's terrible PR, but what anticipatory design is this notion of using context and personal data to create what um, Shapiro called a user experience for one. So this goes all the way back to something that you and I have been talking about for, you know, 20 or so episodes about personalization and that, you know, personalization does a lot of things. It creates, you know, delight. It's definitely an improved user experience. It's kind of the way things are going. Um, and the idea is that using your browsing behavior the time of day, your location, things like this, things like data that we actually have access to through your, through that device in your pocket and using that to inform kind of like what the first screen is. So, um, the one I always think about, and I, I think I've referenced this like before, like even like a year ago, like in, when we did our personalization episode, my favorite one is always like, Oh my God, you are, let's say you're within walking distance to your public library, you know, like a quarter of a mile or you're on campus or whatever. And it's seven in the morning and, um, it's really cold. Let's say it's like winter up where you are. Cause I don't have winter. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, let's say like you, you pulled out your, your phone and, and you get like a little email or a little notification in app or you're on the website and a little like bar shows up and says like, Hey, it's seven in the morning and it's really cold. Why don't you walk into the library right now and have some coffee without really even knowing anything like about you? It gives you a suggestion of what you might want to do and what you might be in the mood for. And it's probably a pretty educated guess too. Yeah. We tried something at like this at my library and I think it's called, what is it? Like blue beam. I feel bad cause I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, it's just like, um, little Bluetooth thing throughout the building, and as you wander around, um, if you have the app, they'll send you little notifications about, like, did you know that blah, blah, blah is here? I've seen it at a couple conferences now where you can get, like, bonus material, so it's 
I think it kind of works in like conjunction with like library box, perhaps. So that if you're over in this section, it's like, oh, did you know that you can now download these presentations? That makes sense because, you know, library box, for those who don't know, is um, uh, Jason Griffey's project, who is also the same guy behind this uh, Knight Foundation winner. The winner? Uh, I don't, Knight Foundation something. Um, called, uh, Measure the Future, which is supposed to be like, a, a Google Analytics for your physical space. So like, oh, you are in the biography area. It's really for, like, the data for the, li like, the library staff. It's like, oh yeah, like 10 people in this area at this time of day over the, you know, and this is, this is your average and peak times and stuff. But it would make sense for that to tie into something like ARFIDs and um, beacons and, and, Things like that that, you know, Brian Pickman talks about and some other um, innovative voices to suggest, to, to make suggestions about things you would be interested in. Yeah. So when I was reading this article and they were going on about, um, like, you know, like removing all these choices in, in your life. So what I got to thinking about was library ebook app. But for instance, I love to read romance novels on my phone. I think it's great. Um, I've gotten past the point where I'm embarrassed about it. Whatever. I write reviews for 20,000 people uh, through my library. But anyways, um, every time that I open up the app, I then have to go like through all these sections, and then I have to filter it out so I can only see the ones which are available right now. And that's a humongous pain. And it actually... I'd rather just purchase things off Amazon instead of having to deal with this. So, like, where this article's going on about, like, slow, take the choices away from me. So, it would learn that I like romance novels, so every time I open the ebook app to go look for something, those would be some of the first options on there. But libraries, particularly, tend to be repulsed by such a personal data collection collecting there was a really interesting thread on um, twitter um but it was a question of whether or not like libraries should be collecting this kind of like personal data and doing personalization there's tremendous like hesitance about it in fact a lot of uh, librarians that were part of this thread were very much saying no that this should be if anything an opt-in you know like opt-in yes please track my browsing history and give me suggestions rather than something that's just kind of like built in by default. The point is that there's, this is the data that we're already collecting. I mean, we see clearly if we're using Google Analytics or something like this or any kind of like heat mapping or browser analytics, you know, we're passing cookies around. We're tracking the user flow. It's only like a, a, a click and a jump to start building information and like storing it in a cookie. It doesn't have to be, I don't think, incredibly violating information so much as like browsing history and part of me is wondering like whether users really even expect that of libraries since it's becoming so increasingly commonplace they have like some other examples in this article of which i really thought was great um so they were talking about when you have to go out to like a conference or something and then you're coming back and you have to like call for your shuttle to come get you and they have to wait around but instead with this whole idea of anticipatory design that shuttle knows where that your plane has landed and they've already you know they're going to meet you outside in 10 minutes once you go pick up your bag i love this i no, i think that's something that we can definitely like draw analogies to so like let's say you're walking 
toward the library. You're walking in the direction or you're leaving work and you happen to be on a route that takes you past the library. I think it makes sense that, you know, at, you know, at 0.5 miles, point point twenty five miles, if you're only like a, a quarter of a mile away from some uh, library, what if you get a notification that says like, hey, Amanda, um, you're in the neighborhood, your books are available, and um, and let's say that uh, you change direction, and you're like, oh, this is a great idea, I'm going to go to the library. Um, I I don't think that, I you know, I, I feel like it's more of a feature than a bug, that if we can detect that you are on your way, that we just pull the books and make sure they're ready for you to pick up, right? Rather than having to go back into our back holding room and, and get it. There are like little things like this that, you know, we have we have the available technology. We aren't using it. But I think I think like you said, you said something really interesting um uh, like a few minutes ago that your use of these um library ebook apps can be so confounding. I mean, they know, especially, they, they don't have the same commitment to privacy that, like, libraries themselves do as third parties, but they know definitely what kind of books you like, even what format you prefer, what authors you like. They should just be suggesting this to you up front, that this this tedium of going through and, and navigating into the sections of your choice literally wants to push you toward the competition. It wants to push you toward Amazon where you would much rather would where you would pay uh, significantly more than the, the amount of taxes that go to your library just to avoid that. Yeah, I mean, today I was looking up at Amazon trying to see what this Amazon Dash where that would be going. Um and of course, all the way down the front page of Amazon with all these suggestions for me be like, "Oh, you've done this lately." Okay, so Jumping from there to Amazon Dash, in case you haven't heard about this, I think this came out, what was it, April Fool's Day? And everybody thought it was a joke? Yeah, and it's just a little device you'd have in your house. Um, the one thing they tell you about is like over your washer, and then when you're running out of soap, you just hit it, and then it'll automatically order it for you, and it'll be delivered to your door in a couple of days. That To me personally, a lot of that sounds ridiculous, because there's only like, I don't know, like 20 brands on there. But the idea of... Yeah, yeah, so far. So, like, this automation process is, like, starting to make, like, bigger leaps out into the retail space. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the this seems kind of invasive, especially if you're, you know, you're a fan of, you know, science fiction dystopia like I am. But the reality is that what this is doing isn't so much... um even though their their mantra sucks, eliminate choice. Um, they're they're not so much um, removing choice, right? They're they're, they're you're not they're not removing options. What they are doing is pre-selecting the options that your behavior has already suggested that you would choose in the first place. And in so doing, you know, it just takes the tedium out of having to, like the Amazon Dash, like run to the store or, you know, make a, make a grocery list. Just these little things that, that the article actually calls microservices. These little things that, um, we do that kind of like fill up our day that just increases cognitive load and, you know, the interaction costs of getting something done. The goal of personalization is to remove the tedium. There are so many choices you can make, so many things that you have to remember that the cognitive load, the the um the amount of stuff that you have to the amount of effort, the amount of like really little like minimal efforts just compounded that you have to 
put into like a larger task is literally exhausting. And the idea is that with anticipatory design, we can alleviate that. Yeah, um, I really like this idea a lot, actually. And I'm a person of pretty heavy routine. I always get the same thing when I go to restaurants, partly because I'm a picky eater. Um, but, you know, I do things on a very scheduled way. Um, by the way, stalkers, please don't follow me. <laughs> I drive, the, I take the different route sometimes. But anyways, I would love things to just, like, be there for me already. And I'm trying to figure out, like, how libraries would do that. Where you were talking about um, you get a signal, like, if you're this close to the library and then the library gets the alert and they get your books for you. Actually, independently of you, if you look down in my notes, you'll see I came up with the same idea and I put it, um, I put it, uh, staff would pull her books from the hold shelf and have them ready at the desk, checked out, and waiting with a smile for Barbara to walk in the door. Now that'd be some extreme customer service. I like the ideas of, like, um, this is probably a really niche case, but let's say, like, I'm in the science fiction aisle. I'm in there, I don't know, once or twice a month, right? And all I do is browse, and my behavior suggests that, like, oh, I look at the same shelves. My eye is trying, I'm, I'm trying to get something to catch my eye, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I'm not looking for anything in particular, I'm just, I'm just browsing. What I'll do, I'll wander into the section, I'll look around, I'll spend maybe like two minutes there, I'll kind of be like, oh, nothing new, and like wander away. What I would love is that what if, like as soon as I entered the building, I get like a notification on my phone, or on my watch, or on my internal data chip, <laughs> or whatever. Um, it's like, it's like, yo, there is some new stuff in this section that you keep looking at. And we're going to highlight it on your personal HUD. <laughs> no, I don't like, that's, a, that's, that's, you know, like, like near future stuff. But like, um, but. Are you thinking like LED lights on the shelves and it'd just be like. It would almost be useful to come in and then like, I don't know if you, I don't know how, what the interface would look like on your phone, but you're like, let's say you just have like a list called like your user, usual sections and there's just a confirmation. Nothing new, nothing new, nothing new. Rather than having to go waste like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to go wander into those sections and realize that there's nothing new, right? But as soon as like something new to the collection, to that specific part of the collection is added, I'd love to know about it. I'd love to be, I'd love it to just be shown. Um, of course, like this, you know, I guess you wonder is like, why once it's cataloged, doesn't it just send you an email? And we should too. It's like, yo, Michael, you check out a shit ton of like science fiction. We just added like these three new best selling Scalzi novels or something like that. So, but like this, this kind of <laughs> implies that there is a system that the library itself has the trust of its users that, you know, there's a tremendous amount of um, sensitive information that you can glean about a person based off their, you know, browsing habits, etc. Do do we as users, not as librarians or interested party, do we as users trust our libraries to collect that information, to not abuse it, to, to encrypt that information, to not hand it over? I mean, you know, what are the, um, like, the, the roots of our librarianship are very much in, invested in avoiding this kind of personalization at all costs, right? It is antithesis to what we should be doing as librarians, but um, I almost think, like, the convenient, like, you know, people people talk about, like, convenience outweighing privacy, and 
and other like important issues. But I almost think that the boon to the overall user experience that you know real personalized um, screens, more personalized uh, services would give would you know show in dividends. Yeah, well, this was a big topic at ALA um, in San Francisco recently. There was definitely the side who was like ultimate privacy, lock everything down. And then on the other side of the coin, which is not the opposite, <laughs> is the, you know, what you just were saying about, like, we have this data, people trust us not to sell it to some company, so why don't we use it? So there was, like, an interesting dynamic going back and forth between those. Um, so I'm not really sure where I was going with that, but for, like, you know, me personally, I'm a huge... Uh, I have an Android phone. Google Now tells me, by the way, there's traffic backed up. So, so um, you know, I check my phone. I'm like, oh, look at this. And I take a different route home if it's over, like, 20 minutes. So I like this a lot. You have here on your notes about um, about John Hopkins Sheridan Libraries? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is my uh, library of choice that I, um, I talk about all the time. Um, so... I wanted to ask about when you're talking about options up front. I'm looking at the site. What are you talking about in particular? Right, right. So, like, I posed a question on Twitter, like, earlier today, um, asking for examples of, you know, library website, web websites or web presences that present too much. Something that I could use as, like, an excuse to talk about design um, or decision fatigue. Everyone kind of joked. Like, I got a lot of responses. Everyone kind of joked, like, you mean all library websites ever? Well, the thing I like about like uh, the J the the JHU library website is that that it makes no pretenses about what services it should put on its front page, and this is just a small thing, and it's not exactly like a personalized experience, but um, what it is is like a, certainly like a a data informed one, right? So what they do is they pull out they you know that they pulled out all the stuff that people really want out of a out of their particular academic library website, which wasn't events and it wasn't some of this uh kind of like furbelo that we flourish our library websites with. And what it is is like advanced search and libguide search on the front page and database indices on the front page. And what it treats itself as is a tool. It's um it's the it, it gets out of the user's way and that's what i that's kind of what i kept thinking about when i was thinking about like the benefit to personalization it's not it is a personalized user experience and that plays a huge role but the other thing that it does by eliminating or or simplifying choice based on context is that it well I, i'm guessing being redundant here it gets out of it gets out of your way. I mean, you, it'll it would be so much easier for you to use the library if those apps would just show you the sections of the so show you the sections that you want to see and that you have shown that you are interested in, right? So, so and and in a way, that's kind of what the the Sheridan libraries have done. They realized what the bulk of their users want, and then they just present it up front. They don't make you click for it. They don't make you look for it. They assume that the context at which you are using the library website is one of research, and so it just puts the research right there. It doesn't make you find it. Um, in this, you know, in the same way, we could be doing very similar things for very different contexts. 
while I'm looking at this and going, I better not tell our head of reference because <laughs> she'll be like, because like they're not emphasizing events on the front of this website really. Like my library website is still a blog format, new website coming next year, but there's nothing on the front page talking about like these are our reference materials, how to look things up, like new books are out. And so what it just has here, I mean, literally, there's a search box with some tabs. Interestingly, one of the tabs is Ask a Librarian. That's unusual. But then it has, like, databases, guides by topic, um, request materials, research help, library help, and that would be, include, like, floor plans and stuff. I mean, I'm not sure I want to show this <laughs> to reference because she's going to, like, want to get into an argument with some other people about that. Right. Um, you should definitely have her go back and listening to our podcast uh, called um, A High-Functioning Research Website with Sean Hannon. Um, it's episode something in the teens. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like, I guess the real idea is that, like, you know, I'm someone who, like, our library is joint use. It's both academic and public, and we have an academic website and a public website, and the contexts are very different. The academic user and the public user share very little in common, and that is a very controversial thing to say, but it's backed up with data, right? Our academic users, faculty, students, doctoral students, whatever, um, want to do research. They don't give a lick about events that we put on. They don't care necessarily about new materials unless those are new, new materials are specifically rated, related to their subject of interest, right? Um, yeah, we talked public, about this on public Twitter. is more the public is more um condo or like it's it's more conducive for them to browse, find events and stuff like that. So that's what we put on the front page. So that's just contextualizing the experience for two very broad demographics. The end goal of something like anticipatory design is to um personalize it for you. Just you. Whatever you want. Yeah, and they not an Apple person, but I can definitely see where the idea of, like, eliminating all this choice and just giving people, like, the best user experience by getting rid of, like, all, all the, what do you call it, bells and whistles. But then again, I think about that. I'm like, wait. But then Apple started going into, like, like here's the perfect iPhone, the first generation, whatever. But then they started getting into color, like, different case colors, and, like, people went nuts because they finally could, like... <laughs> have like some native personalization i guess so i think there's like a fine balance here and well they choose like i guess in that way i mean they they choose their personalization right like i mean like it's still like the iphone and then you get the color that you want like ideally like we would have a phone that um changes colors every day that you know like it's like i'm feeling blue today and you get a blue iphone um <laughs> a, you a know ring phone <laughs> but these are you know these are things that we can think about and that we should the real hurdle is like overcoming our ethical quandaries with this and i don't think privacy and personalization have to be mutually exclusive they are it's just the method at which you collect the data i'm not entirely convinced that libraries that very much rely on third parties that don't have fairly hardcore independent internal development teams should be trusted with personal data. And, you know, I say that as very much a fan of someone or of, of services that use my data to show um, contextual ads. You know, I definitely opt into that Google thing. Like, I want, they're going to show me ads, and they're going to show me ads anyway. They might as well be uh, 
for things that interest me, right? Um, I don't know whether I'm in the minority or not, but this is something I really strongly believe that libraries should do, and I say this, you know, being me, but I'm not exactly sure that I would trust most libraries with doing it. You know, I, I don't think um, when our track record for privacy protection is really good, and that's because we really haven't been collecting it. You know, that little box in our ILS options panel is unchecked, right? Technologically, most of us probably can't handle that responsibility. And um and I think I think that requires a big change. I know that was a big talk at ALA this year of, of uh um revolting against, you know, kind of like the third party vendor um dominance and kind of building in house things. And I think we have to go more in that direction to do something like this. My six years at this point of paying attention to libraries, um I don't know. I still feel like there's a lot of infighting going on, and I'm not sure if, as a profession, if we can pull ourselves together enough to, like, develop these kind of things, like, for ourselves. On that bleak note, um, <laughs> we are we're, yeah, we're, we're pretty much out of time. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for giving LibioX a listen. You can find more episodes like these, articles, groovy newsletters, recordings of the amazing talks that we give at uh, our home on the web, libux.co. Do, 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 do. <laughs>